Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Hey, hey, I just want to be clear. I did not force Laura to participate in the podcast yesterday with no voice. We didn't know she didn't have a voice when she started, and she very much wanted to participate. Please don't send me mean messages. She feels better today, says she's up to it. Again, her choice. It's today Thanks in Ohio. Thanks for caring, the- though, guys. I love that, <laughs> that people care. <laughs> they yelled at me. It's today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Laura, as well as Lisa Garvin and Layla Tassi wrapping up a week of news. Let's go to it. It was a scandal that put Cleveland into the news across the globe. So what is the penalty for taking extraordinary measures to cheat in a fishing contest, Layla? So 43-year-old Jacob Runyon of Ashtabula and uh, 36-year-old Chase Kaminsky of Hermitage, Pennsylvania, they're going to be spending 10 days in jail eating jail food (laughs) for their (laughs) fishing scheme. After that, they'll be on probation for a year and they have to pay a $2,500 fine. If they violate probation, they'll head back to jail for another 30 days. They can get out of half of their fine if they make a a $1,250 donation to a nonprofit that promotes fishing with children. In their court hearing, they apologized to their families and the fishing community, and their lawyer said that the world worldwide notoriety is going to prevent them from ever fishing competitively again. Each of these guys pleaded guilty to one count of cheating, a fifth-degree felony, and the fourth-degree misdemeanor of unlawful ownership of wild animals. And the fishermen agreed to have their fishing licenses suspended for up to three years as part of their plea. And they also forfeited Kaminsky's Ranger Bass boat valued at $100,000 to the Ohio Department of Natural Resources. Well, some, some people think, okay, it's cheating in a fishing contest. Why should you go to jail? On the other hand... A whole lot of people participate in this in good faith. It's become a big money thing. And these guys, this was as sinister and deliberate as it gets. This wasn't some lapse of judgment. They put a lot of thought into cheating everybody who participates. And you got to think, if they did it here, because they've won a lot of previous contests, they've been doing it all along. I don't think 10 days is out out of whack here. What about you? They were, no, not at all. No, I don't think it's out of whack at all. And I think that uh, County Prosecutor Mike O'Malley had the same point that you did, that take a look at their unprecedented streak of victories in these fishing tournaments. Chances are a lot of them were were ill-gotten. So, uh, you know, it's it's, um, 
This this was just crazy. I actually have not seen that viral video that they described. Have you guys seen it before? Did we publish that? Yeah. We, I don't remember I, if we published it, it but yeah, it's yeah. pretty pretty yeah. violent. Like there are people just up in arms yelling. Like that's, immediately. That's, mm-hmm. that's <laughs> really I, I, I gotta go seek it out this morning because it's they it's the way that Corey described it that they, you know, they had to for listeners who are unfamiliar with this case, they had five fish that needed to weigh a combined 16 pounds to win this prize, and their fish weighed more than 33 pounds. And so when the judge suspected something was up, he inspected the fish to find these lead sinkers stuffed inside them and, and, and they weren't them even out big in front fish. of everyone. <laughs> like they they were little. Like so first, you know, when you pick up something that you it doesn't seem right. It, right. It, so yeah. I wonder if they can revisit any of the previous wins. I mean, it's not like they still have the fish anymore, but you think that they would wonder if they could claw back some of those prizes. You know, you learn as a child and all through your life, unless you're a Houston Astro, that you don't cheat. And eventually you get caught and you're humiliated. <laughs> it's just, you don't cheat. The only people that cheat and actually got away with it were the Houston Astros who won the World Series. But this is a great <laughs> message to anybody paying attention. Cheat and and you go to jail. And I think, Layla, the worst part of that punishment, you nailed it. They have to eat the jail food. That's you- right. <laughs> jail food. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Lisa, score one for the First Amendment, for public records, for transparency. What unanimous ruling by the Ohio Supreme Court am I talking about here? And I was shocked that it was unanimous. Yeah, the Supreme Court uh, ordered that the One Ohio Recovery Fund, which is a nonprofit that distributes about $440 million in opioid settlement money, they were ordered to turn over documents about their board meetings to harm reduction Ohio in compliance with public records law. As you said, Chris, it was unanimous. Uh, They say that this board is the functional equivalent equivalent of a public office since it's dispersing public money. And the One Ohio Recovery Foundation, it's a 29-member board. It includes lawmakers, local government officials, addiction addiction treatment experts, and more. Um, Ohio Harm Reduction Ohio President Dennis Kashan says he's overjoyed with the ruling. He says he doesn't have any problems with how the money's been distributed so far, but he said the board is operating in secret, and he claims violations of the Open Meetings Act. He says the they're not allowing the public to attend their board meetings. He says he was turned away from a May uh, 2022 board meeting. Um, and on Franklin County judge ruled that the uh, One Ohio Recovery Fund must follow open meetings law, but they haven't ruled yet on whether they violated that law. Uh, look, I, I'm this is the right ruling. I just didn't think that it would be this much of a slam dunk. They are spending the public's money. This was an award that the public mm-hmm. got because the state sued. And just because they put it into the hands of the nonprofit doesn't mean the public shouldn't find out everything about the decisions they're making. And look, let's face it. When a mm-hmm. board tries to work in secret, bad things are afoot. There's no reason to work mm-hmm. in secret for this kind of thing unless you're trying to be sleazy. So this is a huge win. And look, I have complained bitterly about some of the things the Supreme Court has done, but they took a stand for the public here. They took a stand for doing the public's business in public. Way to go all. Right. And when you're dealing with huge chunks of money like this, there's always, always the chance that it will be siphoned off into somebody's pocket or some other cause. So yeah, we need to have complete transparency here. All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. 
Do we already have evidence that Ohio's new distracted driving law is making the roads safer? How many lives might have been saved so far? Laura, I'm surprised at how fast we were able to determine this. Yeah, especially when we're just giving warnings for right now. So apparently we are using our phones 9% less. So good job, Ohio. This has been the uh, work of Cambridge Mobile Telematics or CMT. They found by looking at cell phones that are using those good driving apps that insurance companies use, that they could see how much we were using our phones. So what we were normally doing was in one minute and 39 seconds interacting with our phones for every hour of driving. That fell by nine seconds to one hour uh, per hour to one minute and 30 seconds. And that was just in a month between April 4th and May 3rd. So that does have real effects. Um, You think it's just nine seconds, but it ends up saving 540 crashes, one fatality, and $13 million in damages. Yeah, the only my only problem with this is that it's based on insurance companies and people who have agreed to the monitoring in their car. Right. And maybe that group of people, because they've agreed to that, are more likely to behave themselves. And I'm not sure you can extrapolate this to the whole population. People that are not willing to do that are probably more reckless in the way they drive and less likely to put their phones down. I was a little bothered by the extrapolation. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you can prove it at all. I mean, this is just an estimate. It's the way that they're looking at it. And I I don't know how else you would try to even begin to calculate who's using their phone in a car. And um, so it's something they are. I mean, now you're, this is a six month grace period, begin issuing $150 tickets to drivers in early October. You can get pulled over for using your phone in your car. There's all sorts of caveats like you can use it at a at a stoplight and you can swipe to the next song or use it for gps or whatever but overall phone down it's the law that's the public awareness campaign there's tv radio and social media ads billboards and a website i haven't seen any of them yet i well at the very least the people who insurance companies track are doing a better job and that is saving some lives so you could say this is a win even if you don't extrapolate so it's an interesting story i'm just surprised you're right i haven't seen any publicity about it but you can't really argue with the statistics you're listening to today in ohio all right layla why is the greater cleveland partnership trying to water down cleveland city council's proposal to get more business into the hands of companies owned by minorities seems like it is counter to what gcp says it stands for Mm -hmm. so the proposal that's before city council is one that council president blaine griffin has been working on and championing The goal is to increase participation of minority and female-owned businesses in contracts that benefit from city subsidies. So the proposal requires any developer who gets financial help from the city in excess of $250,000, they have to lay out their plan for how they're going to meet certain benchmarks for equity on their project. And larger projects over $20 million would have to meet additional benchmarks that would be negotiated on a case-by-case basis. But the Greater Cleveland Partnership says this is going to be bad for for development downtown. They've, They've been angling to have tax increment financing and tax abatements excluded from the kinds of city financial assistance that would trigger these community benefits requirements. 
GCP CEO Beiju Shah says that imposing those requirements are going to, that's just going to chill development downtown. It'll also slow the negotiations, which would make it harder to get bank financing and on and on. So the problem with that position, though, is that tax increment financing and tax abatements are pretty much the most commonly used and lucrative financial incentives for developers. If you let those developers out of these requirements, the community benefits law is pretty pointless. And another point of contention that they have is that the legislation would allow the city to claw back those incentives if a developer isn't living up to their end of the bargain. And GCP wants those penalties stripped out of this legislation too. And Blaine Griffin is kind of like, well, if there's no accountability, what's the point? <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, they, 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 they seem like they're politely trying to gut this, this ordinance. This is a classic debate. It's, it's the GCP is saying we want downtown to flourish. And so the ends justify the means. City council is standing on the principle. We need people to share in the wealth who've largely been excluded from these projects and we're willing to miss some development opportunities if it means that we change the trajectory of people, minorities who own businesses. I'm just surprised that the GCP is going so hard at this because it looks kind of heartless. It's like, yeah, yeah, we get what you're saying, but that doesn't matter. We want development downtown. The hell with them. Right. I completely agree. And I think that, I mean, the optics are terrible for GCP here if they keep pushing this argument because they should be taking the position too that minority and female-owned business participation is important in major projects like this. That is, I mean, that <laughs> we that that this is the era we're in now. We 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 value that as a society. And so I, I'm very confused by how this is playing out. I, well, look, GCP's worried about downtown. They're worried about development. And so they're saying, hey, we got to keep the economic generator going. But I kind of hope, I really hope that city council stands on principle and does the right thing. This is, they, they've tried so many times over mm -hmm. the years to put in programs that do this. And in an early version, you had shell companies pretending to be MBAs that hooked up with, with other companies to do it. And then the Fannie Lewis law had real teeth, real teeth, and was having an effect. Mm -hmm, and then that mm -hmm, got mm -hmm. abolished by the legislature. And here's another effort trying to do the same thing they've been doing for 20 years. And GCP comes in to try and stand in the way. It's an ugly look. You're listening to Today in Ohio. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Congresswoman Chantel Brown is going at the FDA about a health issue that could be critical to black women. Lisa, what is it? Yeah, Chantel Brown, along with her fellow Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, uh, the Democrat from Massachusetts, they're in a letter asking for an investigation into whether hair relaxing products are safe. These are primarily marketed to black women who are, according to the letter, forced to navigate extreme politicization of their hair, and they adapted by straightening their hair. And the pointed to a, a National Institutes of Health study from last fall called the Sister Study. 
study where they studied 33,500 women aged 35 to 74. The study found that they were more than two times likely to develop uterine cancer if they used hair straightening products more than four times the previous year. A study from the Journal of the National Cancer Institute says that 60% who use these products are black. They also tend to be younger with a higher body mass index and lower physical activity levels. And they say that there's really no racial differences they see in the study, but there's a higher use of these products in black women. So the letter says the, you know, the Food and Drug Administration has a mandate to reevaluate the safety of these products and probe potential health threats. The FDA says they did receive the letter and they will respond. Look, for Chantel Brown, this is something that many of her constituents could be affected by. And we've talked often about health disparities mm-hmm. and the way the the attention is not paid. So I salute her for going at it. Can you imagine if this is true? If these products are actually causing cancers and things like that, how long that might have been going on? Well, you know, and they're harsh. I used to get my hair relaxed when I was a kid, and it was like lye-based. I mean, they had to put Vaseline on my scalp to protect my scalp from the chemicals. Obviously, they've improved over the years, but, you know, if you have really coarse hair, you're straightening your hair at least four times a year, maybe more. Wow. All right. Good story. It's on Cleveland.com, and you are listening to Today in Ohio. Is this a result of being corrupt beyond words and funding the biggest bribery machine in the history of Ohio? Or is it what First Energy says, a change in the habits of people working? Why is First Energy abandoning its headquarters in downtown Akron, Laura? Well, it's certainly not saying it's because of House Bill 6 and Larry Householder. <laughs> but it's saying it's because it doesn't need the, spe- the space. It's also laying people off. They've got to lay off 90 employees and offer early retirement for 670 workers. That's a lot of people. They operate across five states. They employ about 12,330 people. And they're their headquarters for a long time has been in downtown Akron, but they're going to close their Brexville office and move out of downtown Akron, consolidate everybody at White Pond Drive just off of 77 in West Akron. It's not super simple for the downtown headquarters where there's about 925 employees and 90% of those don't come to the office every day. They actually own the building. They have the option to buy the tower it occupies. So they plan to buy it and the lease, and then work with the city of Akron on the future use. So it's not just like they can just, you know, abandon it. Yeah, but it's been one of the proud things for Akron for years. Well, maybe not since HB6, but for a long time <laughs> that it was headquartered in Akron. Yeah. Remember when when they were talking about say the bailouts, they were saying, hey, there's a lot of jobs at stake in Akron. Um, so it's a, it's a fairly big moment to have the headquarters. It's staying in Akron, but it's going to be in a much reduced fashion. It is staying in Akron. It's just not downtown. Right. Okay. Uh, and I mean, to say though, that 90% of their employees are working remotely, it doesn't seem like they're using the office space at, you know, much at all. And this is something obviously since the pandemic, every company has been grappling with. We, we have a story up today at the end of the pandemic emergency, was Thursday. And so we looked at a whole bunch of ways that life has changed. And one of it, obviously, is the way that we work. So, you know, this is happening now. I don't think it's the only business that's doing this. I I saw the New York Times had a story about like how many Empire State Buildings would fit inside all the empty office space in Manhattan. So I'm sure no downtown wants this, but it's going to it's a reckoning and it's it's not over. 
No, it's not. And we, we, we talked about our move. Our building was for sale long before COVID hit. So our move into the Tiedemann building wasn't really a result of COVID, but we're there much less frequently than we were in the newsroom pre-pandemic. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We talked yesterday about how loneliness has re- increased as a result of the pandemic. But as Laura said, we're doing a bunch of stories to mark the end Thursday of the national pandemic emergency. Here's a better news story, kind of a fun one. How has our approach to dressing changed, especially for work? Layla Julie Washington had a hilarious line in this story. Yeah. I was smiling and laughing out loud throughout this Julie Washington piece about how our fashion sensibilities have shifted on account of the long stint that we all spent working from home. The upshot here is that we're all slobs now and it's it's fine, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're not total we're not all total slobs, but we definitely are less structured in the way we dress for work. You know, gone are our suits and ties and heels and other uncomfortable footwear. And here to stay is work attire that incorporates more comfortable styles like leggings and flowy shirts and flats. And of course, minimalistic makeup. These are, are trends that fashion designers have to consider now as they design for the workforce. They have to be thinking about ways to take athleisure wear, as it's commonly known, and adapt it for the workplace. But my favorite line from Julie's story, and Chris, I'm wondering what yours is, but she writes, the most amazing thing is that contrary to all the memos society has ever sent me, the sky did not collapse because I left the house without eyeshadow. I can command respect in the workplace while wearing buttery soft leggings. Yes, that is a thing. The ATM still gives me my 20s, even though I'm in a comfort bra. <laughs> and I felt like that really nails it. But the pandemic showed us that we don't really have to live up to society's dress code. We set the dress code, Ugh. right? <laughs> yeah. And the line I like was when she said, okay, we're slobs. Something like we're proud of it. We're not going back. It was just a, a great punchline. Laura sent baby. me this. We're not going back, baby. Yeah, we're not yeah. going back, baby. <laughs> That's right. right. Yeah. It's a great line. Laura had sent me this before it published and said, this is a great story. I had no idea about the bras. Really? There's three women on this podcast, so it's probably more appropriate for one of you to discuss what she was talking about. <laughs> I, I didn't like she talks about comfort bras and how underwire can be just like throw those out. You don't need to live with those. Oh, anymore. Dear Lord. No, and, my uh-uh. I'm keeping my <laughs> underwires, baby. And I wear my bra until I take it off at night. So there you go. <laughs> you know, it's funny on the uh, on the other hand of this this uh, this story. This really made me think. I have found that I have invested more in my professional wardrobe and put more effort into accessorizing and looking workplace appropriate than I ever did before the pandemic. Really? And I was thinking about it because I think that it's because I I really took being seen in public for granted before. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and I don't do that anymore. I yeah. have accumulated you know, during the pandemic, I accumulated an entire drawer of black leggings, and I have three kinds for various degrees of formality. I have super soft <laughs> cotton for hanging around the house and stretchier high-performance leggings for, like, the grocery store. And then there's leggings that almost look like work pants. But honestly, I feel like after working at home in sweatpants for two years, going to the workplace still feels like a special occasion to me. And Good. so I've been putting more effort into it. Good, good. I... <laughs> 
that's that's hilarious, Layla. I invested in uh, fleece leggings during the pandemic because my house was so cold. Um, yeah. And then sweatshirts. I used to wear sweaters all the time, but like you know, they pill and and they're not as easy to wash. So I was like, right. I'm like. I, a sweatshirt revolution, right? But I agree that um, the fact that I can get my sundresses back out and I have a reason to wear them, I like that. Right. And, you know, I want to tell this story. During the pandemic, there was one day when my my daughter, who's now eight, she had a pajama day at school and she was super excited to wear her pajamas. And when she came home that afternoon, I asked her, hey, how was pajama day? And she was like, it was great. I see you had one too. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The one thing I I don't quite agree with is that the pandemic changed the wearing of ties for men. That was going away long before the pandemic. That was something that was. But you you used to wear a tie, and I haven't seen a tie on you since the pandemic. I had I I used to wear a tie every day. Yeah, I had largely stopped around 2018, um, which was well before the pandemic. But I think Mark Bosberg would beg to differ. But I will say this, panty lines are never cool. <laughs> never cool. So you ladies that are wearing legging, leggings, look in the rearview mirror. I, um, That's so funny, Lisa. I, I, I'm surprised, Layla, Chris that is you're like saying... Chris is like not touching that. This, yeah, I'm not touching a lot of this conversation. Uh, I'm surprised, Layla, <laughs> that you said that this has required a greater investment. Because we're in the office three days a week. We used to be in the office five days a week. Yeah, yeah. You used to cover courts and you used to cover City Hall and all sorts of things, whereas you're an editor now. And I, so is it just, it's a different style yeah. of dress that required a big resupply of your closets? Yes. Well, and I think also that uh, Julie kind of nails this in her story too, that after, you know, years of the pandemic, you look at your wardrobe and it's really outdated. <laughs> so like I had, you know, like the cold shoulder tops, they call it that have like, you oh, know, where the sh- no. yeah, those are out. <laughs> and I had to like toss a bunch of stuff that I was like, these are not <laughs> cool anymore. And, you know, and I bought a couple blazers because I thought, you know, yeah, I'd become an editor during the pandemic. And I'm like, I need blazers. a blazer. <laughs> so, so, yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> All right. Plus, our our newsroom, I should say, is icily cold, and so people are wearing lots of layers. Uh, no matter what we do, we can't warm it up. It's today in Ohio. Lisa, it's not intentional that you get all the marijuana questions, but you got another marijuana question. (laughs) What what did Sherrod Brown do this week that could make things easier for all of the companies that are making huge amounts of cash on legal marijuana sales? Yeah, I've had uh, the Sherrod Brown beat, too. I think this is my third Sherrod Brown question this week. So um, there's proposed legislation called the Safe Banking Act of 2023 that would allow cannabis companies to access the banking system. It had its first hearing in the Senate Banking, Housing, and Urban Development Committee, which is chaired by Sherrod Brown. It has passed the House seven times, but it's never moved ahead in the Senate. But Brown says the time is ready to move forward now. He says, really? he sees the delay in this legislation. It's because bankers are trying to use this bill as kind of a foot in the door to weaken wider banking rules and regulations. So a sponsor of the bill, Senator Jeff Merkley, the Democrat from Oregon, says this is 
an industry that employs 428,000 people, $25 billion in retail sales and the taxes fund schools, law enforcement, so on and so forth. But they're largely cash businesses because they can't bank. So that becomes a security issue. And Congressional Cannabis Caucus Chair, our representative from South Russell, Dave Joyce, who is the main sponsor in the House, he says that the state legal cannabis companies are denied the same access as other legal businesses, forces them into a cash-only business, and that's a serious public safety problem. Well, another way to go about fixing this would just to do the national decriminalization of marijuana, and then it would come off the schedule Mm. that precludes it. So many states have either legalized it completely or legalized medical marijuana. You would think that by this point, the federal government would say, okay, the people have spoken. They want it to be legal, and then they wouldn't need to to do things with the banks because there is a danger. If you weaken the regulations on the banks, look what's happened this year with bank failures. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Senator Tim Scott, the firebrand from uh, South Carolina, he says that national law enforcement groups think that this will create loopholes in the money laundering laws that would make it harder to catch fentanyl weapons and other trafficking. And uh, there's a group called Smart Approaches to Marijuana, and its CEO, Kevin Sabat, said that the act would open the banking system to transnational criminal organizations and facilitate the development of hazardously strong cannabis products. It's, it's nice that our members of Congress have learned to reduce their rhetoric and have thoughtful debate, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Today in Ohio. The latest ranking of medical schools and law schools in America is out. Laura, how did the Ohio schools do? Well, I bet you'd guess who ranked at the top of these. Ohio State University and Case Western Reserve, they came out on top. This is actually usually part of the grad school rankings that we talked about recently, but due to verification process delays, the med schools and the law schools were separated this year. So the Moritz College of of Law at Ohio State claimed the highest spot for best law school, ranked 22nd in the country overall. 94.9% of students passed the bar and got full-time jobs within 10 months of graduation. So if you're going to shell out for law school, you want to know you can get a job. In case... um, was 10th in international law, 11th in healthcare, 44th in environmental, 46th in legal writing, and 47th in trial advocacy. Honestly, I had no idea that you could rank all of those different specialties through all the law schools. Or, I I mean, I guess if you know, if you go to law school, you you figure out pretty quickly what kind of law you want to be in. Uh, The University of Akron ranked well, 24th. Ohio Northern University, 47th. For part-time, University of Dayton ranked 36th. And uh, University of Akron is 49th on the same list. For med programs, Case beat Ohio State. Um, It was 25th in the country. OSU is 28th. University of Cincinnati, 35th. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. I kind of wish I'd put that clothing question at the top of the podcast. I think people are going to love that one. You guys had all sorts of good (laughs) perspective. Hope they stick with it to the end. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Laura. Thanks, everybody who listens. That's it for this week. We'll be back Monday talking about the news. 